0: room of alcoholics. Oh. This is being recorded. I'm safe and protected in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous with uh, without a hand free to grab a drink. Um, I get to be a link in a chain today. I get to be one among many and um, what a gift in my life. Yeah. And then the third thing I said is I have a home group. Uh, my home group is called Bolsom Big Book Group. We meet on Monday nights. We have a Zoom meeting and an in-person meeting. I go to the in-person meeting. Um, it's at eight o'clock in Folsom, California. Um, and I love reading the big book every week. Um, it, there's something about hearing, you know, dozens and Pre-COVID, I would have said 100 people turning the pages of the big book and studying it together. There's, um, There's nothing quite like that. That year after year, a little big book fairy always comes into my big book and adds something in there. I always have opportunities to learn something new in there. Um, and people know where I am. You will find me on Monday nights at a big book study. I've learned um, a little bit about discipline in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, bef- before I came into AA, you wouldn't have known where I was. I could have said I was going to be there and I'd be there and over that way. And um, AA has done uh, a wonder for my integrity um, uh, and, and being where I say I'm going to be. I'm really grateful for that. So, with that all said, um, I'm an alcoholic, so what does that mean? Like, I'm, I'm just your run-of-the-mill drunk. Um, I am, my story is not anything cra- anything special or crazy. Um, I can tell you that I'm a vodka drinker. Um, I like warm vodka. I don't like warm vodka, I drink warm vodka. Um, and, and if you're a warm vodka drinker, you understand me. You, you don't drink it because you like it, you drink it because you have to. Yeah, my warm vodka was usually in a plastic bottle. It typically had a red top on it. Um, I'm the alcohol type of alcoholic that I get relief just by hearing. The, the, the cap turn, you know, the seal break on that red plastic, like I start to feel better just from that, okay? Um, and I drink warm vodka because it's under the seat of my car, it's in my underwear drawer, it's underneath my bed, um, it's in all the different places that I have to keep it. Um, and I drink for the effect. I don't drink because it's cute. And because I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, whatever, however, whatever the reasons people drink, I I don't know, I drink because I like the effect produced by alcohol. I drink because I get a perception change. I drink because in a moment, I feel better. Alcohol hits my lips, hits my gut, and I get a response. My body feels better better. It, if I'm happy, I'm happier. If I'm sad, who knows? <laughs> but I get some type of change and it's immediate. I want immediate overwhelming gratification, right? And that's what alcohol gave me every single time. I found, uh, I, I, I got drunk on purpose for the first time when I was 13 years old, um, I was this like super skinny, scrawny, like I like would sweat down to my waist. I was like always really nervous, um, really, really smart kid, but like would never raise my hand in class because, Um, I didn't, I I couldn't, I I would know the answer, but I couldn't have the attention, which is like actually really funny. Um, But I I was, I was so afraid to, to talk in front of groups. It's so funny today how Alcoholics Anonymous has, um, I, I can speak in front of a thousand, you know, like I, my, my roots grasp new soil today. Like you guys have changed me from the, you were shy. Thank you, Connie. By the, but the, it's changed me from the inside out, right? And so... Um, When I, when I, when I found myself at this party with, with this girl who was also 13 and, but she looked like she was 18 at 13 and I wanted to be like her. She wanted what I had. She was comfortable around boys. Um, You know, I wasn't, like I said, I had sweat down to my, my waist most of the time and she mixed some together, some alcohol in a red solo cup and I found a solution I remember drinking it. I remember the the, the warmth going down my throat. Um, that 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 burn hit my stomach, and being like, <sighs> 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 it's like I've been holding my breath my whole life. I didn't even know it, and. I remember thinking like, man, this could have really helped like in kindergarten, you know, Um, I I, I found a solution to the sobriety problem I was having. I didn't know how to live and connect with people sober and I wanted more and I drank more and I got drunk and I got sick and I threw up all over the place and um, I was ready to do it again. And, you know, my, my drinking isn't glamorous. I'm a t- I'm a teenage alcoholic. So, you know, I have a lot of, be- and, I- and I'm a blackout drinker, right? So I'm a vodka drinker. I'm a blackout drinker. I-, I drink when I drive every single time. I have a lot of beginnings of stories and not a lot of ends, but what I can tell you what happened for me is very, very quickly alcoholism appeared in my life our big book talks very specifically about women and about young people and it says with both of both cases we're often gone beyond recall in a few years and that was absolutely the case for me like my, my sponsor drank for like 26 years I'm like I don't I don't know how I, I I ran it into the ground so fast like I, I wish I don't know that just it's not my story I, I burned it to the ground quickly by the time I was 15 years old. I had, um, let me tell you the story real quick. I had gone to a party and I had a, I had intended just to have a good time, and I started drinking a bottle of J and B, and I drank the whole thing. Now I didn't understand at the time what I was suffering from, what how my body is different than my fellows. I thought that when I started drinking, and I said I was going to do X, I changed my mind, right? So when I went to a party. And I would get too drunk. Well, it's just, I changed my mind. What I actually had was an allergy to alcohol. So the second I put any alcohol to my lips and I drank it, I literally lost all control over how much I was going to drink. And I didn't know that at the time. So I drank this whole bottle. I weighed like 98 pounds. I went into alcoholic seizure, um, broke a a full length mirror with my head. Um, Luckily was rushed to the emergency room. My parents were told they weren't sure if I was going to make it through the night. And um, I did. Um, but with severe alcohol poisoning and a social worker determined that I was definitely trying to commit suicide. Um, What 15 year old drinks like that. I, I was just trying to have a good time, right? I I couldn't say that, but um, that, that's just me having a good time and overshooting the mark a little bit, almost dying. And um, so I was 5150 taken away from my parents and put into a psychiatric ward at 15. And um, after a couple days of being there after being in the hospital um, you know, there's this memory I have. And it's like, it's one, you know, it's one of those yesterday memories. I can remember it every single detail. And my mom and my dad and my 12 year old brother walk into this um, room in a psych ward. And um, my dad, who I'd never seen cry, holds me kind of like lifts up his daughter and wails out loud. Like, what did I do wrong? And um, I remember, (laughs) I remember, (sighs) feeling like the absolute worst, right? Like I can, I can p- pull the feeling up right now. And like, I wanted to be a good girl, right? I wanted to do the right thing. I loved my parents, my parents, I had really good parents, not perfect, but they were good parents. And um, I swore that I was never going to drink again. And I meant it. If you'd given me a lie detector test on that day, I would have passed it. I absolutely meant that I was never drinking again. And I was drunk the next weekend. Because what I also didn't understand about alcoholism is not only did I have a physical allergic reaction to alcohol, but I had a mental obsession. I, I, there, there, I, I could not recall with sufficient force Any type of memory of a solemn oath, suffering, promise, anything that happened, it could have been the day before, the week before, the month before. I could not remember this, and my obsession for alcohol and this belief that, well, it'll probably be different this time. Or, um, you know, I can drink a different type of alcohol or what if I like whatever excuse I came up with, I found myself, I always drink again, no matter what happened. That's just one of the clearest examples that I can tell you of like, I had lost control at 15. Right. I absolutely know that. Um, and so, yeah, my drinking is just kind of, um, it, you, you guys know it. I, I would, um, I I always I thought that maybe I could be like the designated driver. I thought that maybe that would be the thing that I would not drink that night. So I'd be like, hey, guys, I'm the D.D. And um, like, I would go to the party and then it's like, I changed my mind. Well, I could have one beer. This isn't vodka, like one beer I can handle, but the one beer passes my lips and I'm done. Or like, I'll have a port, an important engagement to make. Like when I was a freshman in college, I had this roommate who I loved. And she told me at the beginning of the year, I have this final dance performance. She was a dance major. And I want you to go. It's really important to me. I had it on my calendar for nine months. And the important date arrived and I was at at that morning, I was with some people and this guy rushes in the dorm room. He had stolen like six cases of beers and like, well, I had to have a couple of them. Needless to say, I did not make it to that final performance. Despite me knowing how important this was to this person who I loved for nine months, she asked me to no longer be a roommate anymore, right? It it didn't matter what was in front of me. If alcohol was, was in my vicinity or if I had plans or if I started drinking, all bets were off. Um, so I didn't need to drink for 20 years to, to, to really find, find myself an alcoholic. Um, I, I came into the rooms at 19. And what that looked like for me is um, I was a nanny. And uh, I, I had it was actually like a sweet nanny job. They had this uh, estate um, in St. Croix and they invited me to go for a month. And I was to nanny the three year old and the, the nine month old um, in St. Croix. And, um, St. Croix, the drinking age is 18 and I was 19. So awesome. Right. I was, I was so pumped and I was drunk the whole time in charge of these two small children. And, um, my, uh, what's amazing about this is like the seconds and inches of my life, the seconds and inches of life, right? Like if you're if you're new and there's there might be some other people who are new and you're wondering how did I get on this Zoom call listening this girl from Fair Oaks California, um, what I know is that in retrospect when I look back at my life and when I look back at how I got came into AA, God planned it all so perfectly for me to find recovery, and. And I know that, and I can see that in the lives of others, and especially in the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. Like I I love, you know, I'm sure there are other AA nerds on here, but like, I think about like, what if Hazard had gotten in to see Freud? Would we be here? You know, we wouldn't probably. And what if, you know, what if Young didn't have the humility to say, I can't help you? What if, roland hadn't come back when what if he hadn't petitioned for for ebby not to go to the state mental hospital in vermont what if ebby hadn't had the zeal and the zest to find bill what if bill had been successful in june of 1935 what or may of 1935 what if his business had gone off without a hitch would we be here what if he had, what if someone had never answered any of the phone calls that he made those 10 phone calls standing in the Mayflower Hotel. What if Reverend Tunks hadn't thought of Henrietta Cyberline, who had been praying for Dr. Bob for a year. Would any of us be here. There are all of these little specific moments that had to happen in such a perfect way and i just see god in all of it and so my story is for that month of me drinking there was all this stuff happening behind the scenes um for me to land here because on my last day in st croix i went out i um i remember the last thing i remember is chugging my 16th beer after you know pre-gaming with vodka beforehand and i went into a blackout And I woke up the next morning um, at three in the afternoon. I was supposed to start nannying at 7 a.m. Didn't know where I was. You know, there's like parrots and like a baby on the floor. not the baby I'm supposed to be nannying. I'm not in a very good physical state. I get taken back to the place I'm supposed to be. And the little three-year-old girl who I was supposed to be in charge of looked at me terrified and said, mommy, what's wrong with Katie? And I was excused. And I got to see myself in the mirror and I'm black and blue. I'm on an, in another country on an island, and I didn't know what happened the night before, and I didn't know why I looked like that. And it was, um, you know, I'd, as an alcoholic woman, I've woken up in a lot of different states, um, and there was something about that one. And what's amazing is the next day I was on a flight home and my parents were holding an intervention, And if that intervention and if that flight home had been two days, a week later, I would have had a justification, a rationalization, an excuse, something, but it, but it was the next day. And so when my parents said like, we think you have a problem, we think your friends think you have a problem and all of, they laid out all this information. Um, It was hard for me to say anything other than you're right. And they asked me to go to a, to, to an inpatient. I didn't know about AA. They, they wanted me to go talk to, you know, a rehab and you know, the rehab asks all the questions in the intake procedure, right? They're like yes or no. And um, like I'm answering them like their essays, right? Like, did you drink in the morning? Well, what do you consider morning? I mean, that's like a pretty big time frame. And um, I was just a total smart ass, like the whole the whole thing. And the gentleman who was doing the intake with me, he set, he said, i will never forget this. He set down his clipboard and he looked at me and he started describing alcoholism. And one of the things I remember he said was um, restless, irritable, and discontent. And I had never heard three words put into a sentence that I more identified with in my entire life. I had never identified with anybody my age. And I'm talking to this like 60-year-old man when I'm 19 and relating to him in a way that I had never related to anyone. And then he said something to me. He said, um, from what I can see, you're probably going to not make it past 25. And what happened for me is a moment of clarity. And what I think a moment of clarity is, is when God paralyzes the liar in me long enough for me to hear the truth. And I heard some truth. And what's crazy about the truth is that I didn't want to die because I had been suicidal since I was 10 years old. I think that alcohol found me just in time for me to keep me alive long enough to find Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, I, I So it was, it was amazing. And this guy gave me a great pitch. He said, give me 30 days and I can change your life. And that sounded pretty great. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I I was a little bamboozled. I found later on because I get into this treatment facility and they give me, I am handed a big book and I, and I start kind of flipping through it and I'm hearing people talk and they're saying that the only solution for alcoholism, which I have identified as, um, is complete abstinence. Now, no, there, there, that can't be it. Like, this is, this is the worst news that you could tell me because alcohol is my best friend. I don't know how to live without alcohol. I don't know how to live with alcohol, but I have to be, you have to tell me a way to live with it. Like, I have to be doing something wrong. And they're saying that I cannot consume alcohol in any form. And I, I don't know about y'all, but I like grieved alcohol. Like it was, um, I was so angry and so upset and so physically torn down. And, um, you know, like I said, someone gave me a big book and I kind of flipped through and I'm like, war fever ran high. Like, what is this? And I'm like flipping, flipping. I'd never been to an AA meeting, didn't have a sponsor. Um, but I found this chapter called we agnostics and I was an atheist when I, when I found myself, um, in rehab, reading this book, and, you know, seeing God on the wall, and I'm like an atheist of the militant variety, like, I'm bristling with antagonism, I'm very angry, I'm very right, I'm an intellectual, I'm not saying if you're atheist, you can't be those things, but, or, you know, you know what I'm saying, I I just, I was very angry, and I couldn't actually say the word God, it was repulsive to me, I had um, a physical reaction to it, and, um, but I, I saw this chapter called We Agnostics, and I thought I would start there. And I was 19 years old, again, another yesterday memory. I'm smoking about 800 cigarettes at one time on my parents' back patio. And I'm identifying with every single line in that chapter. Um, How Bill used logic to combat my problems with faith is I think it's one of the most important pieces of literature I've ever read in my entire life and he said this thing um he he writes that we miss the reality and the beauty of the forest because we're diverted by the ugliness of some of its trees and I considered that perhaps maybe I was wrong and that to me continues to be the essence of a spiritual experience that maybe I'm wrong if I can get that into my brain maybe and he compared right the contempor our contemporaries with you know columbus and thinking the earth was round and like maybe you know maybe i'm wrong like maybe i'm just seeing this wrong and i became open to this idea that maybe i didn't have all of the answers right and um what happened is i prayed for the first time since I was probably five years old with my grandma. Right. And I didn't get on my knees. I didn't say God, but I said that alcoholic prayer, which is help. That's, that's all I said. I was so angry. I'm 21. I'm like, my life is over and what am I going to do my 21st birthday? And what am I going to do when I get married? And like, this is, I'm such a victim. This is like the worst thing that's ever happened. And, um, I was washed over from the top of my head to my toes, absolutely enveloped in warmth and a little bit of peace and what what is really serenity. And the feeling was better than the first drink. And what I heard the still small voice say is that your alcoholism is not a curse. It's a gift. It's a relationship with me. And it was the most remarkable experience I'd ever had. And I think that um, what happened for me is I thought that that was a spiritual experience, and and just to uh, if you're new, I am not an authority on Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not an authority on God, on spiritual experiences. I'm not an authority on anything. This is just my experience, and what I believe happened for me is a first contact with God. I was so far away that I had this remarkable first contact. Um, That was very powerful, but did not spell out the spiritual experience that we describe in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. In the book of Alcoholics Anonymous on Appendix 2, it talks about the spiritual experience very specifically. And it talks about a transformation in my thought, in my attitude, in my actions, a complete overhaul of who I am that didn't happen in that moment for me right? That may happen for some. Some say it happened to Bill Wilson, but it certainly didn't happen to me because I stopped drinking and I'm still the exact same person. I stopped drinking and I'm still a, a rotten daughter. I'm completely selfish. I will steal from you. I have no regard for your time, your energy. How my I didn't even understand how my actions affected other people. I'm totally self-absorbed, self-righteous, selfish. I'm a selfish individual. Nothing changed for me. So I showed up to AA in that exact same way, right? I showed up to my first meeting um, late. I left early. You know, I I showed up to AA without being a taker. I was an absolute visitor in AA. I didn't lift a finger. I didn't try to learn anything about Alcoholics Anonymous. I didn't have a service position. Um, I just showed up like, what are you here to do for me? And um, I didn't really work the steps. A sponsor told me that she was gonna be my sponsor and she didn't do a four step until she was a year, till I was going to be a year sober. And um, that might work for some people. That didn't work for me. I did step three and I was walking around with untreated alcoholism. And what untreated alcoholism feels like to me when I'm not drinking and I don't have the solution of Alcoholics Anonymous, I liken it to someone getting a potato skin peeler peeling off my skin and I'm walking through a salt fog I'm an open wound and everything hurts like everything hurts I was raw right and didn't have a solution and I actually had a had a suicide attempt when I was nine months undrunk in AA I was just undrunk I was I didn't know anything about recovery or sobriety and um I sought out uh, uh, psychiatrists and pills, and I, I was desperate for something to make how I felt better. And so it was either I was gonna kill myself or drink again, and I drank again. I Drank again when I was 21. That's my sobriety date. So I said, I you know, I actually came in in, in June of um, 2004 when I was 19, so just 17 years ago. But my I'm 15 years sober. My sobriety dates when I was 21. What happened? This is the story what Ross wants to hear is um, I am this is so crazy because so I'm still kind of agnostic at this point. Like I'm showing up to AA here and there. I don't know anything about the principles, I'm kind of trying to work the steps, but I'm kind of out there. Um, But I decide to go study early Christian art in Italy, France, and England. And which is so, it's very funny. So I, I get on this plane and I'm 18 months undrunk in AA. And someone says, Would you like a drink? And I thought into my head, like, maybe I should tell them I don't drink alcohol. I don't need to say anything. The flight attendant comes by. They order my drink for me. I don't ask what it is. I don't watch the flight attendant prepare the drink. The drink is passed my way. I don't ask what's in it. I don't smell it first. I just drink it. I drink it down and I could feel the heat. <laughs> it, it, I think it was a mimosa. I felt the burn, you know, I felt it hit my gut and I went, mm. <sighs> I'll have another, I'll have another I'll have another, I'll have another, I'll wash that down with some Clonopin, I'll have another, I'll wash that down with some Ambien, I'll have another, I'll have another. Apparently, at some point, I was cut off. Um, I went into a blackout. What I was told happened is I stole, I was cut off by the flight attendant, I stole a bottle of wine from the back of the plane, and I woke up in Rome. And um, thus started my last Bach. Um, I spent the next two weeks traveling through the most holy sites of Europe completely out of my mind. Um, I really think today, looking back, I was um, protected by angels. I don't know. I saw the oldest known Madonna in the crypts of Rome, 100 feet underground. Um, Four days before I got sober, I was in Assisi. I got to see the place where St. Francis was buried and the church that he built. I knew enough about AA to know about the St. Francis prayer. And I, and I and I don't find any coincidence that I was there. Um, my last drink was on January 6th. And this is for me, by the way, not for Ross. This is for me. This This is my opportunity to remember. I think remember is one of the most important words in the big book. Remember what I'm dealing with. I have to remember that I'm alcoholic. So my last drink is January 16th, two, 2006. It was my mom's birthday. I didn't know it was my mom's birthday. I was out of my mind. I really believed that I could probably drink like a normal person. I'd never um, drank in Florence, Italy. I'd never drank at a fancy Italian restaurant. I'd never drank a bottle of wine. It'd probably be different. I'd only drank boxed wine. So I could probably handle myself different. I'm going to have three glasses of fancy bottle of wine at a fancy Italian restaurant in Florence, Italy. And I'm going to handle myself differently. And I went to that restaurant and had those three glasses of wine and it was on. It's like, you don't know how much you need breathe until a paper bag is put over your head. And I was suffocating. And I found a bartender that helped to sell me a 60 60 euro ball, half drunk handle of vodka. And I went up to my hotel room with some friends and I tried to get them to drink. No one was into it. I'm trying to have a good time. I'm taking shot after shot. I'm not feeling any better. The first time in my life, I'm getting drunker and drunker and I'm not feeling any different as I consume shot after shot. And it was the most terrifying experience of my life, recognizing that vodka was no longer a solution for me. And I woke up the next day and it was January 17th, 2006. Again, that's my sobriety date. I protect it with every single part of me. And what I thought about was you. What I thought about was Alcoholics Anonymous. What I thought about was the stories I had heard, the hope I had heard. Um, All of your faces and your names and your stories came flooding into my mind. And I decided that um, it was time to maybe do it like you did it. And a couple days later, <clears throat> I, I, st- I had I'd been taking a lot of pills. So I stopped taking those, and it was kind of crazy. Well, the next thing I remember is, um, I think it was January 20th, and I was in Paris, France at that time. And I came to, I literally came to, I, I think I'd gotten out of a taxi, and I'm in front of this 800-year-old church on the Seine. I can see the Eiffel Tower in the distance, and there's this old stone church. It's called the American Cathedral, and I walked inside. And there was an AA meeting in the basement. And it was an English speaking meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. It was a big book study. And they were just starting the chapter, chapter three, more about alcoholism. Like my God speaks to me in big flashing neon signs. It was all right there. And there were people from all over the world, like literally all over the world. I was so blown away that um, how big AA is. I had no concept of how big and expansive and roomy and beautiful Alcoholics Anonymous is this fellowship that we're in and that people are literally right now doing Alcoholics Anonymous all over the world in zoom rooms and in-person rooms and cathedral rooms and in who knows where all these different places. Right. Um, and, uh, I had a new experience in Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, that's and I've been sober since then. So how do I cover you know fifteen years in the next um, twenty minutes? I'll do my best. So I am. Um, I go back to California and I get a new sponsor and I get a sponsor who works out of the big book, and takes me through the twelve and twelve and took me through the service manual and our concepts, and gave me um, a solid education in Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I made a beginning and um i had some really great experiences in early sobriety i mean i went to i'm telling you i went to a meeting a week i did the meeting before the meeting the meeting the meeting after the meeting dinner and then poker like i mean i just i did aa i had a commitment at every single meeting i went to and i went to a meeting every day i went to every single business meeting i participated in general service i mean i just i got immersed in alcoholics anonymous i said yes to everything despite my best thinking this is what's crazy i know that people I I was just talking to a girl last night. How do I know if I'm surrendered and desperate? Like your actions will show you. I started taking action that I did not believe in. I started saying yes to go to campouts and to like show up at all these things and like just do this stuff. I started making amends. The most terrifying thing I shared my whole life with a sponsor, terrified, sobbing, crying. Um and, and, I, and I started having a new experience, right? And I had some incredible experiences making amends. Like I, um, I had this amend to my grandma. I had a sponsor who I, I, hated, I hated my grandma. And I had the sponsor said, call her once a week. Doesn't matter if you hate her, call her once a week. I called her every week and I ended up falling in love with my grandmother, To the point, the last year of her life, I was calling her almost every day. And I was the last person who saw her alive. Um, She died three days after I went and visited her. She'd had a stroke and couldn't speak. And I wore this very symbolic necklace. It's a long story, but I wore it as like this unspoken amends. And she had tears in her eyes. And I got to look at her and I knew we were good. And she died and I had no regret. I'd made it right. And I'm so grateful for that experience. And um I had a lot of those, right? And I, uh, you know, I those are that's those are some good stories. And I started having these great stories in AA, and I started sharing them, and I would make people cry. And I started to get some confidence, started to get a couple years sober, and um, I could parrot things in meetings. I could I could start reciting the Big Book, and um, I stopped having new experiences in AA. And I started living on. Past things that happened, right? And I got to be about seven years sober, and um, I, a lot of beautiful things happened. By the way, I got married in in recovery. I married a man who was in um, AA. We had a sober wedding. Those two kids I talked about in Saint Croix, like I made them these amends to the family. They were at my wedding. They were they were junior bridesmaids and groomsmen. It was an amazing experience, and. Um, you know, all these cool things happen. I got this great job. And, um, you know, AA became pretty inconvenient after a while. I never left AA, like don't hear that. But I certainly didn't have the same level of enthusiasm by the time I was seven years, seven years sober. And I think I really stopped growing. And um, what that looked like is um, uh, me trying to find a way to tell my dad that I never wanted to have a relationship with him again. Seven years sober. Um, I got into a physical altercation with my mom. I had a, um, I was uninvited to some family events. Um, I don't think I was a very good example of what a wife does and looks like. Um, and I had a coworker actually send me an email saying, please never speak to me again. And I worked right next to her. So that was pretty awkward. And um, I was just like, a vision for you really at seven years sober. And um, I was miserable. And those feelings that I had when I was 10, 11, 12 years old of wanting to commit suicide came back. Um, I was really thinking about how fast I needed to drive to get my car over the Folsom Bridge um, into Lake Natomas where I live. And um, what happened for me at seven years sober is that I um, found a new sponsor. Um, and there was this woman who, um, I had seen around and I really didn't like her. Um, She was really beautiful and everyone would like stand in line to give her hugs. And she was really happy. And that pissed me off. Like her level of happiness, like bothered me quite a bit. And um, the way she practiced AA was different than the way I knew it. So that was definitely wrong because it was different. Um, I was pretty closed minded and judgmental. It's so funny looking back on it, but um, I asked this woman to sponsor me, which like blew me away. And it blew her away too, because I wasn't very kind to her. But she's the type of woman who says yes, when someone who's suffering comes to them, despite my attitude toward her. And um, we started meeting and she started asking me a lot of questions about how I actually practiced the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, like the principles behind the steps. And I couldn't have even told you at the time what the principles were. I was kind of like, what are you talking about? And um, she asked me about like, what does prayer look like? I Do you get on your knees? No, I had never done that. And I'm um, just throwing it out. If no one prays on their knees, I give you permission to do so. I had a whole new relationship with God when I started taking a physical act of humility. Um, and, I, and I was talking to someone last night about this. They're like, what if I don't know who God is? I'm like, you don't have to worry about it. I don't think God really cares if we know who he is. We just have to like, trust him and surrender. And um, I started doing that and I had a whole new experience. And my sponsor started asking me about how I practiced discipline. You know, I didn't, I I couldn't tell you what discipline was. And we started easy. We started with what I do at a home group and the meetings I go to. And she started showing me, like I said, at the beginning, a way of life. And um, I started to have a new experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. But more importantly, we started to take a look at my four step. And again, I'm gonna tell you that I'm not, a, um, I'm not an expert in, st- in, in the big book or telling, this isn't the way to do it. This is just what happened for me. I'd always done a fourth step with four columns and the fourth column was my part. It's fine if you do it that way. For me, I'm crazy and I'm really into words. And so when I saw my part in my fourth column, um, that meant that you also have a part. I have a part. You have a part, and I have a parts pie now, and I'm giving you way more of the parts pie than me, right? And what happens is I'm still angry. And what I discovered at seven years sober is that I am an angry person. Like I hate everybody. I hate my family. I hate my coworkers. I hate my boss, and I hate members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay, um, hate. And I couldn't have told you that, but like looking at this, this is what I've discovered. And my sponsor just lovingly pointed out in the big book that the questions that asked me for column 4 is where am i at fault where did i set the ball rolling where am i to blame and those are very different questions for me and for my psychotic mind and so i'll give you an example there was a gentleman in my home group that i absolutely despised you all have one of those people don't lie to me wake up You all have a person that you wish wasn't a member of your home group. You all have that, right? And I had a member who I wished was not a member of my home group. I didn't like him. I gossiped about him. I really did some sabotage. I got some of his sponsors not to be sponsored by him. I mean, I really hated this guy. And um, he always had a bigger part than me. And instead, I did this fourth column where I looked at where am I to blame and what I discovered is that all of his behavior was actually a direct reflection of me. Every single bit of it. He was just a mirror <sighs> for my gross behavior. And my sponsor had me start praying for him. And she said, you know, and I'd been praying to it for him for years. You know, the sick man prayer. Oh, he's such a sick man. Oh so sick look at this sick man like very like self-righteous sick man prayer and instead she said why don't you pray for everything you would wish for yourself for this man so I got on my knees and for five days morning and night I prayed for him I prayed for his health his well-being his happiness his financial independence I prayed for all the things I would want and after those five days, I show up at my regular meeting where I see this gentleman and him and I hadn't spoken in about a year and a half, I would show up, I would see him once or twice a week, and we would look each other in the eye and not speak to each other. And my sponsor said, man, I freedom for me is walking into any room and looking anyone in the eye. Yikes, i had never considered that. And so after praying for five days, I walked into the room. He walks straight up to me after not speaking to me for a year and a half. And he says, Katie, can I speak to you outside? I was shocked. And my sponsor had promised me that if I, when I pray for someone, it will change my heart, but it will, might also change theirs. So we step outside and he looks at me and with tears in his eyes, he says, Katie, last night, I had a dream about you. And in my dream, I was making amends to you. And then he followed up with making amends to me, and I made amends to him, and God stood between us, and it was one of the most powerful experiences um, that I would had in Alcoholics Anonymous, and um, I got the gift of freedom, and I uh, <laughs> That propelled me through the rest of my list and the rest of the people I hated. Um, they, The rest of them did not go that beautifully. I think God gifted me with a really nice one because the rest were rough. Um, my stepmom, um, I have a sponsor who said, Katie, ask her how you harmed her and if you missed anything and what it was like to have you as a stepdaughter. And boy, did she tell me. But I walked away from that encounter a little more free, too. You know, getting to understand the who and the what of who I really am actually leads to freedom. It's not boogeyman, it's not scary. Um, without knowing where to start, I have nowhere to grow. And um, it was a powerful experience because I, my dad and I had this really hard relationship. I told you, I was trying to tell my dad I never wanted to talk to him again. And I was the problem. And when I took ownership of that, everything in our relationship changed. Making amends to his wife, taking some new action, following the direction of a sponsor. I, um, my dad was the kind of guy that said for a lot of years, do you have to keep going to those a classes? You know, like he didn't know my sobriety date. He could care less, you know, um, I don't, he, it, we had a rough relationship. And um, after a couple of years after I went through that process, you know, my dad, my dad and I actually at the time worked for the same company, a large global IT company and he's a CIO and um, he was interviewed for like our internal website. And someone asked him, who's your role model? And he said, my daughter. She's the best example in my life of, um, I think he said, principled behavior and discipline. That's not me. That's Alcoholics Anonymous working in my life that it repaired the relationship with my father and I. He now calls me every year on my sobriety birthday. He knows when it is. He's never asked me, do you have to keep going that a a He loves Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, loves it. Um, my dad told me we were hanging out last weekend and he looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, I'm so proud of you. Alcoholics Anonymous restored the um, innocence with me and my dad. And, um, <laughs> I, and I have many more stories of this amends process. So if anyone's on here, my message about amends tonight, if you have... Um, if you have amends, if you can't look someone in the eye, if you're walking around with that, um, how free do you want to be? Today, I want to be free. You know, I make mistakes all the time. I'm, I I, make amends literally all the time. That's the the measure of progress isn't how perfect God get, gets me. The measure of progress is how quickly I'm willing to recognize where I make a mistake. And I make mistakes all the time. <laughs> and um, in the last couple of minutes, I want to tell you about some of the miracles in my life recently. Um uh what do I, I'll tell you that um I only have six minutes. What do I want to gosh? I really only have time for one story. I can tell you that everything my every good thing in my life is as a result of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I told you that, you know, I was in Paris and I had this realization that um AA is so big, right? And AA continues to be so big. Like I, today I get to serve, um, if, if any of you are familiar with, with these general service roles, I'm what's called an appointed committee member to our trustees literature committee. So I serve on the board of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm not a trustee. I'm not a non-trustee director, but I do participate in quarterly business meetings in our general service conference. And I get to work on young people's projects and I get to serve our fellowship and um, I get to, tra- you know, when, not in COVID, I traveled to New York and I get to participate um, at the that, at that level. And it's just absolutely unbelievable where AA has gotten to taking me just because I've raised my hand and said, I'm willing to be of service. I love general service today. If you're not involved in general service, I highly recommend it. It's been an incredible experience for me, but in saying yes to things, uh, four years ago, right now, um, I had said yes to participating in a big book study in Uganda. My grant sponsor was invited out there and, um, by uh, sobriety sisters, Sponsee of mine, who happened to be the first woman who got sober in Uganda. So we did this big book study in Uganda and it was so incredible you guys to to see, it's kind of like the beginnings of AA in another country um, and and how they operate. We got to bring a hundred pounds of AA literature to a place where you can't send literature because they don't have infrastructure and like the desperation and the willingness of people who are so hungry for a solution for alcoholism. It was so inspiring to see. But the reason I'm telling you the story is it's kind of an outside of AA story, but, um, we decided there's four of us that went, we decided that we were going to go see wild African gorillas in the Bwindi impenetrable forest in the South of Uganda. And, um, the people we were with my grand sponsors husband 75 year old man and he was not prepared for the trek that we were going to go on we thought it was going to be a two-hour trek through the jungle and it turned into 13 and um, we ran out of water and we ran out of food and um, we had some older men who were not prepared to climb up four thousand feet of elevation and travel 13 miles through a jungle with machetes in humidity, we did, by the way, get to see a family of wild mountain gorillas in the I mean, in the wild with with babies. I mean, I like sobbed. It was the most beautiful thing seeing God's creatures like that. I will never forget that circumstance. But it became very terrifying by the end of that 13 hours. Like I said, with no food, no water, um, the light, the the sun had gone away. It had set. We didn't have flashlights. I had the light from my phone to um, help me. And there was this point we had gotten separated from my group. I didn't know where anybody was. I was with Kent, my grand sponsor's husband, who's 75. He was struggling to breathe. He had a heart condition. I'm literally pushing him out of the jungle. He's being pulled by a porter. It's pitch dark. There's bugs everywhere. There's black mumbas in this forest. I could hear wild African elephants crashing down trees around me. It's wild. We're literally in the wild, okay? And I'm so angry. I'm so scared. I have all of these real emotions in this terrifying location. And we stop for a minute for Kent to catch his breath. And I look at him and I tell him how angry I am. And I tell him how scared I am. And what do we do? And Kent, who's a 30 plus year sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, puts his hand on my shoulder and looks up and says, let's invite God in. And I look up for the first time and I bear witness to the most incredible, beautiful, majestic sky I've ever seen in my entire life. More stars than I knew existed. And I took a deep breath and together we took step after step out of the jungle. And if that isn't a representation of 100% what Alcoholics Anonymous is for me, it's me with a hand on an old timer's shoulder. It's not knowing where I'm going to be able to go. It's not knowing what the end of the path looks like or how long it's going to take me to get there. It's having just enough light, just the light from my phone, not the giant beam to see the whole path, but just enough to see the next step that will get me there. Trusting God, looking up and seeing the absolute beauty that is this world and Alcoholics Anonymous. And, um, And I got to survive and tell a really freaking great story, you know, an awesome story. And, um, you know, if you're new, Alcoholics Anonymous, if this is the most important thing, are you ready? Alcoholics Anonymous is a sufficient substitute for alcoholism. If it wasn't, I would not be talking to you on a a Wednesday night on Zoom. I wouldn't be doing this. Um, What I have found is a world that has opened up to me in such a big way when I thought that it was just closing in. And, um, I want more, I'm a more girl and I want more of Alcoholics Anonymous and, um, I'm going to keep coming back. So thank you for allowing me to share.